teams sit right on the baseline. The big fella from New Zealand. When we cut him off baseline, he started walking in there. Welcome on into the Baseline Podcast. Uh, we're working through our NBA team breakdowns in the off-season as we get back towards the 2022 NBA season. Done about 25 now. Excited to do the Dallas Mavericks and um, also really excited to have my guy Richard Stamen on, aka Mavs Draft, on, on Twitter. We've been trying to get this one going for a while and uh, there are lots of Mavs fans down here in New Zealand, so I appreciate you jumping on. Richard, how are you going today? Hey, I appreciate you having me. This is uh, a long time coming but pretty good, pretty excited for this, and most importantly, excited for the Mavs season. Yeah, yeah, agreed, man. It's um, it's been a an interesting off season. Um, I follow Mark Stein a little bit, and he he does like a Substack, and then he's also been doing uh, Spotify green room chats. And and um, for, as soon as free agency had opened, it had been a couple of days. There were three or four straight days where people were like, "Tell me what the Mavs are doing," and he basically had to ban Mavs questions because. Um, it seemed like the, the the people were jumping on, and and you know maybe they were unhappy about the moves, or they were asking you know why is the team not deep into the tax? So it's I feel like it's been an interesting off season, and I don't think they've had a bad off season. I just think maybe that people expected they were going to make bigger moves. Um, maybe they people thought that um, you know they could have made a massive trade or whatever. But as we know, it's it's a lot more. There's a lot more to it than um, in terms of contracts and the CBA and, and making trades. In terms of how you feel where the team is at at the moment, um, well, what did you think of this offseason? And then how do you feel about the team from an overall standpoint and how they've been able to build around Luka Doncic? Yeah, it's, it was still an underwhelming offseason just because the Mavs had so much money available and it feels like they just did so little relative to the money that they had. Uh, I would still say they're doing the right thing. They added shooters. They added two very good shooters in Reggie Bullock and Sterling Brown. And then they also got a nice buy low player in Frank Nielakina. But Nielakina and Sterling Brown aren't exactly moving the needle. Bullock helps a lot. He bolsters that rotation. There were times where the shooting just went missing. And now with him, you get some insurance on the shooting, which obviously next to Luka Doncic, you need as much shooting insurance as possible. You need everyone around him to be able to shoot or roll to the rim really no in between. So getting another player like him helps a lot. It, get, it helps getting insurance for the, you know, for Luka Doncic, you need as much insurance around you in terms of shooting. You need, you know, you need someone that can either roll to the basket, shoot three pointers, really not much in between. That's the perfect fit next to Luka Doncic. And to get, you know, someone like Reggie Bullock, one of the best spot up shooters in the league, honestly, a top 10, probably near there. It, getting someone like that bolsters the depth a lot. So that was a big help. But again, just not the needle mover that we thought we were getting in like DeMar DeRozan, some of that caliber. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. And I, and I think, I think that probably it was a, it was a lack of, of moves. It wasn't the moves that they made were terrible, but it was that they didn't, the cap space that they had, they weren't able to, to use it. And, and teams will, you know, if you look at Norman Powell, Tim Hardaway Jr., uh, Duncan Robinson, the, the the pay rates that these guys are getting, you know, between fourteen million is probably starting low. You know, like Gary Trent Jr. got, I think, well, he might have even got more than that. But those guys are getting between fourteen and and, and twenty one, twenty two million a year. So um, people may say it's an overpay, but that's the market rate for for that type of guy. If if you were to 
to say that, or if the team was to say that, look, we're looking for um, a return to form of Kristaps Porzingis, we're maybe looking for some internal improvement. I don't feel like there's a massive amount of internal improvement to be had. I think that Porzingis can bounce back and probably from a production standpoint and efficiency and in terms of playing more games, and that will give them maybe a better regular season record. But I don't know if there's a massive amount of improvement to be had within the squad. What else is the team relying on for them to improve from last season to this season? Yeah, I mean, you said it pretty well. Like Porzingis just had the best off, uh, best offensive career season, excuse me, of his career, where he averaged 20 points a game, Every everything across the board. His efficiency was the best it's ever been. Career-high field goal percentage, true shooting, effective field goal shoot percentage. Just all the numbers helped him a lot. So I think, honestly, getting something like a repeat of that helps a ton. And frankly, just... The other two things really are consistency and health. Um, and then also that, and I'll bundle that as one, just because help, you can't be consistent really if you're not staying constantly healthy, in my opinion. And the other thing would probably just to, I guess it would be just to close the games out. Like their fourth quarters were how many times did we see the offense go dry? I don't know exactly what the root of it was. Um, I have my own theories that maybe it was, Carlisle tried taking control of games and taking the, you know, taking the control out of Luka Doncic's hands. Who knows? But I think that's those are the two key bundle areas, so kind of three areas that'll help a lot for next year. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And the building around Luka, it's it's just become. I feel like last season, this season, we're talking about a guy that's a top five guy in the league, um, insane offensive talent. What? It will become a, it will be a thing moving forward. The type of player that he needs now, we, like I feel like you've already touched on what it is that he needs alongside him, people that he can dime up at the rim for for efficient buckets down low, um, and then obviously shooters. But when Luca is off the court, you you're obviously going to have major issues in terms of if you build a team fully just around him, um, which which you need to do, you, then you obviously have to have your strong bench unit as well. Um, what were the bench units like for for the Mavs last year? And um, I, I like Jalen Brunson, like him as a guy that um, you know very um, accomplished college player and seems like a dude that that will can have a decent NBA career. Um, what's he like there as a backup, um, you know, shot creator, so shot setter upper, uh, for lack of a better term? And and how was that bench last year when Luca was off the court? Yeah, the biggest hole was arguably ball handling for this team. It was just nobody knew how to make a post-entry pass. Simple things that guards should be able to do. It was very inconsistent and oftentimes difficult. That's what they thought Josh Richardson would help with is make Jalen Brunson more efficient as a ball handler, but it just didn't happen. But Brunson himself was still a very good player. Liability on defense and not a great playmaker, sure. He kind of turned into a black hole at times when his shot wasn't falling. But that wasn't very often because he flirted with 50, 40, 90 for quite a bit of the season. And, and I think he finished even shooting 52, something like that percent um, and with 40 percent from three. So that was I don't think that was a fluke at all. His numbers at, at Villanova were pretty consistent with that and projecting something like that. He's a high IQ player, but him just being a better point guard and a playmaker would do a lot to bolster the bench. That that was far and away the biggest need for them is they expected Brunson to be a true point guard. He just wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's fair. 
as we as I look through the roster now and we and we sort of talk on a few guys for next season, I feel like there's a bunch of interesting players on the roster. And when I look at the the five, for example, or, or the big man rotation, you've got a number of guys there. A, a guy that I want to start with is um, is Maxi Kleber. I feel like he's one of the most underrated players in the league in terms of being able to shoot three. Um, you know, defend multiple positions. He's a really strong defender, able to pass a little bit. Um, that there, there is does seem to be a you know lots of guards on this roster, and then lots of bigs. Um, you know, and but Kleber's a guy that is on a pretty team friendly contract, and um, seems to be like a dude who could be a, a part of um, these Mavs teams for years to come. What what do you see his role being next year, and and how key is he to to this Mavericks team trying to to get a um, home court advantage for the playoffs next season, this coming one. Yeah. So last season before the bubble, he was outstanding. It was his best version of himself. He was shooting the three ball and he was locking guys up defensively. I mean, he was clamping Zion Williamson in an ESPN game. I think it was either a few days before the shutdown or February. And then in the bubble, he just wasn't himself and it kind of continued into the next season. So I'm wondering if a full off season maybe resets him but he almost looked to have lost some athleticism. I know he had COVID. Maybe that impacted some of his mobility, but his shooting hasn't fallen off. And that's offensively going to be his most important skill. He tried a few off the dribble shots, um, which were just not pretty. But for the most part, he does one thing and one thing only, and that is stand in the corner on the wings and just shoot threes fed off of Luka Doncic. Defensively, of course, he wanted to return to form, but that's the hope with him is that he's just a pure three and D power forward. Yeah. Yep, nice. That's good there. Yeah, and and how does if we're reflecting on on Porzingis there, what is the what is the closing lineup for this team? Um, and if you're looking at the other fives that are on the roster and you're putting Porzingis into the mix, what what is the closing five? Um, what is and especially um, who are who are the starting four fives as well? The sorry, who is the starting four five on the squad? Man, that is hard. Uh, the closing is actually a little bit easier, I think. I, I think you put Luca at point guard. You have Tim Hardaway next to him. And then Reggie Bullock at the three. Dorian Finney-Smith does a good job of playing the four until his man can get in within 10 feet. Then he's kind of lost. So it's a little bit risky to put him there. But depending on the opposing lineup, he can do that. And then Porzingis at the five. I don't think that'll be the starting lineup. I think they're going to change it up a little bit in – I don't know which of those two, like Tim Hardaway, Bullock, or Finney Smith comes off the bench. I don't think it's Finney Smith, but whichever one of them doesn't come off the bench, I could see I could see them moving Finney Smith down and starting Maxi Kleba. That would be the most realistic choice. And, and if I had to guess which one of them is off the bench, I'll say Reggie Bullock. Got you. Yeah, that's that's really, really good. So so touching more on Porzingis, um he when you when a guy has a bad series or a half bad season, then they go from being evaluated correctly on on the craziness of his NBA Twitter to being wildly underrated. Now, I'm not saying that that Porzingis is underrated at the moment, but it's likely that he will return to you know um, yeah probably going to have a um, a pretty strong season again this year, um, and people will forget about um, some of the the shit that was sort of going around at the end of last season. What does he need to do in himself to show that he, um, you know, that he's a fringe all-star? You know, he's obviously a great rim protector. He can shoot it. How does he need to play this year? And also, how does he need to be used to be maximized properly on this Mavs team? Um, Yeah. 
Yeah. So offensively, there's very few areas for improvement. I mean, like I said, he just had the best season of his career, career low turnovers, uh, 20 points per game on career best efficiency and every single regard. The only one was of his like his second best three point shooting season. So doing that again on 20 points. And, and like you said, you know, we've really overrated, not overrated, but exaggerated, I guess what happened in the playoffs and just forgot that this guy was a walking 20 and nine in the regular season on really good efficiency. So doing that will help a lot. The number one thing for him offensively that needs to change though is Rick Carlisle loved making him an isolation player at times and wanting him to, you know, dribble into shots from the perimeter, do some crossovers, hit some post fades, take him out of the post and make him stop being a ball handler. Just make him purely off ball. And he's elite. He's a great cutter from the corner and just elite in the pick and pop. So why are you not playing to those strengths? Those would be the biggest areas for improvement. But defensively, he was a disaster last year. And that's why they went to that zone against the Clippers. It's why they played Boban next to him so much. And I think for him, it was almost an effort thing. You know, a lot of people said he lost his athleticism. I disagree because there were times where he looked plenty fine athletically. It was just, you know, it, it felt like he didn't want to make the plays that he needed to on the defensive end, especially at the rim. If he had a two-on-one, he would just kind of let it go. He didn't really bother to contest the shot. So motivation, if maybe it was a Carlisle problem, maybe that would be restored under Jason Kidd. And if he's putting up 20 and nine on 45 plus percent shooting with really good three point shooting again and low turnovers with good defense, that's a fringe all-star for sure, depending on how the maps are, of course. Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yeah. I love, I love that. And, and again, I just want to come back to it and recency bias is obviously, you know, it's, it's a killer for, um, for the way that players are evaluated, but we know, and when I bring these great guests like yourself on, on, on the podcast, we're able to evaluate this guy as in terms of we know who he is. Um, and, yeah, hopefully we can see see him at his best in a playoff series where he has better supporting personnel around him. We touched on uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. Um, a, a little bit earlier on and talked about his payday. Um, he he may not be well, – see, he, he sort of is the, the third best player on the roster, but – he is a great. He's a great shooter on high volume, and regardless of if people think you should be paying eighteen or nineteen million a year to that type of guy, high volume three point shooters that have great efficiency um, will get paid that amount. Um, and I feel Luka Doncic is actually, um, you know, one of the greatest strengths of a passer. You know, Chris Paul, LeBron James is their ability to actually increase others' efficiency. Um, we've seen Hardaway have great years efficiency wise from three. Um, what can fans expect to see from him this coming year? Um, and how important is he to the Mavs from an overall standpoint? Yeah, I think more of the same is big for him. The one question mark that comes for him is Rick Carlisle notoriously has really gotten a lot of, just gotten the absolute most out of his players in the past, the role players particularly, guys that are just not either the first two options, I guess. And Tim Hardaway is no exception. It was the best year of his career, 16.6 points per game with 45% uh, shooting, which on that volume of scoring was his best efficiency. Great three-point shooting at 39%. Both years in Dallas has actually been 39%. So, you know, the problem is, like you said, he's probably the third best player. And it's not a Tim Hardaway problem. It's a Mavs problem that they have with him which is you don't want Tim Hardaway Jr. to be your third best player. Maybe like people thought that could be the case when he signed with Atlanta and, you know, he had that one year where he was just making some crazy shots. But the realistic thing is he should not be your third best player. He's not a third option. He's a, he can be a third scorer, but he should not be 
relied upon to be your third best player consistently throughout the playoffs and throughout the regular season to guide you to be such a good team. So to, what I expect for him, though, is just more of the same, more chemistry with Luca or continued chemistry with Luca, and the rest will come. Just continue being a hot shooter. Hopefully that number from 39% just doesn't decrease. Yeah, that's awesome. So if you're looking at the, the way that the team is structured moving forward, um, how does Dwight Powell fit in? How obviously he had an, an injury um, after he got paid? I thought at the time that maybe that was an overpay, um, but how does Powell fit in moving forward? And do you think he's a guy that potentially could be moved at the deadline, considering he only played 19 minutes per game last season? Yeah, I think he's going to be a priority for the Mavs. He makes, uh, I think it's $11 million, $12 million, somewhere in that range where he still has another year after this season on his contract. So it's not the sexiest contract, but maybe you throw in Josh Green or Tyrell Terry to package him and get, you know, get his contract off. Unfortunately for him, he just hasn't looked the same after the Achilles. It's really weird because Dallas fans hate him, have hated him for a while for like a, a certain minority of um, like a minority group of Mavs fans, like 25% of Mavs fans have disliked him, but they've been very vocal about it. And, you know, he kind of was bad this year and, and a lot of people would be happy to see him go, but pre Achilles tear, he was a very good player. If teams think they can just get him to be a roller, which he was hesitant to be on his own, he just didn't take those hard roles that made him elite at it. It's going to be hard to take him on unless it's to a tanking team that's wanting that Josh Green or Tyrell Terry. I think the ultimate end game for Dwight Powell, though, is to be traded and not to be a rotation player with how many bigs they have. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. When you're looking at Luka Doncic, he's about to hit the um, first year of his max deal, not the season, but next season. Um, I don't think you can rely on too much improvement. He's going to improve, but I, I don't think that the team will rely on that as a way for them to get an extra five or 10 wins, for example. But is there anything that you'd like to see Luca add to his game? Um, is it, you know, extra shooting efficiency? Um, you know, would you like to see him? Um, I didn't watch a massive amount of Mavs. I love, I love watching Luca, but not enough to totally analyze his defense. Is there things on the defensive end he could be doing better? Like what, what would you and Mavs fans like to see if there was anything that, that Luca could improve on his game for this coming year? Yeah, I, I don't think defense is really much of an issue, especially for the most part, it's consistency. Like he just turns it on and off. When he's on, he's either like at the worst, a passable defender. And especially being the position he is and who he's guarding, that's all you need from him. So I don't think defense is really much of an issue. I don't think, I think that's a very overblown uh, area of concern for him. I don't even think it's an area of concern. I think there's only two things that you can look at for him to be improving on, which are free throw percentage because there are times where he would just miss absolute gimmies at the most important times. And then his three point percentage went up to 35%. So continued of that, but also just cutting the turnovers, uh, three turnovers in his rookie year per game. And then the last two seasons he had four per game. And those are numbers that just, you can't stay that high. Like obviously it's not the worst thing in the world, especially the way he is playmaking. You, you takes the good with the bad, but he does need to improve on turnovers. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really really good. Well, what do you think the in terms of his shooting? Obviously, I consider that he still has that, um, like being able to create a three for himself off the dribble at the end of the clock is an elite skill. But there's not many guys that can do that. But then they're not they're not able to to have free throws. Um, he his free throw shooting is really up and down. Do you do you sort of have any um, 
Have you an inkling as to why as to why that is, or is it just something he just needs to work on as he's a young guy? The only guess I have is conditioning, but I think even then it's so minor. I, I don't think he's that out of shape. I mean, he played so many minutes. I think that's horribly overblown, but I, I have no clue. The conditioning is the closest guess there is. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, and and I, th- I think as he continues to to be a pro and 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 work himself into that body, he's so young that I think we there's no reason to see he can't be a an eighty percent free throw shooter. As we work the work our way down the roster, you talked about um, Reggie Bullock. Um, Bullock's just the it's just a guy that will be wanted by lots of teams because you know he's able to to guard some dudes and then he's obviously a great spot up shooter. Um, how yeah, how is that? How, how do you feel about the deal that he signed? I think it's pretty good value myself. How do you feel about the deal that he signed? And um, yeah, what can, can fans expect to see from Bullock this season? Yeah, he signed a three-year, $30 million deal, which is pretty fair value um, for a great shooter. Like I said, I mean, he has a case to be a top 10 shooter in the league. And when you have someone like that at that deal, who's going to be a rotation player. And like I said, at the off-season preview, like he, a review, he he's insurance to shooting you need that like that is someone that you need those guys that down the line you can say all right if Hardaway's not hitting can Bullock hit can Finney Smith hit go down the line and just adding more names is so crucial to the Mavs where you need that he he is one of the best catch and shoot players in the league um yeah I just can't say enough good things and honestly the other good thing that's underrated about him is he provides some defense which for the Mavs like for most teams, you'd say some defense, fine. Like, you kind of gloss over it. But for the Mavs, they desperately need even some defense. Like, that level of defense they had was just so weak that they needed something to – anything helps. <laughs> like, that's where they are in that. So, it's it's positive. Yeah, agreed. As you review the other defenders, uh, of which you said there aren't many, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith is a guy that I really like. Um, managed to, The Mavs actually managed to get him on a really great team deal when they did. Um, has one more year left at $4 million. Um, I'm not sure what the rules are around when he can be extended, but when the Mavs are talking about moving forward and, and the team getting expensive with um, with Luca's extension, do you think uh, Finney Smith is a guy that, that they'll bring back? And he's obviously a, you know, one, a, a really high-level defender in terms of the NBA and then one of the Mavs' best defenders. What's his role not just this year but moving forward? And then do you think that the, the Mavs would bring him back on a bigger payday? Yeah, that's a tough question. I, I go back and forth pretty often when I think about this. So on one hand, he is a guy who's been there with Luca. He has crazy good chemistry. He's a 3 and D guy. He rebounds really well for a forward. Those are all things that the Mavs need. However, I think there might be a school of thought. I don't know what this new front office thinks, but there could be a school of thought sell high on the guy. Like he's consistently 39% from three. Decent defense. Like I said, he does have some holes where he can play up, but only to a certain amount. Like he can guard Carl Anthony Towns in the perimeter very well. He's done it year over year, but the second he gets in the paint, he's just toast. And that's against anybody. And obviously Cat is like a top 20 player. That's not the best example, but you can say that about any big man that's, you know, pretty well skilled. Like Miles Turner takes him to school, guys like that. So I think that they might look to trade him. He might be someone that you throw in with Dwight Powell. Maybe you get a $15 million guy that's that's their contracts combined and you say it's been nice but maybe we can get someone with a little bit either more upside game to game or something along those lines like you got to kind of sell high and the NBA has high turnover like it's a you know it kind of comes with the nature it would hurt 
I don't think Mavs fans want that, but it might be what's necessary. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. In terms of the, the as we start working our way through backup and bench players, um, Sterling Brown was a guy that was picked up this year. Um, usually you see guys coming off their, their rookie deal or maybe they've had a minimum after their rookie deal. There is still upside for for guys who've maybe been out of the rotation and other teams or, or maybe they haven't been able to get minutes. Um, do you see Brown getting minutes in the in the rotation up this upcoming season? Yeah, I think he'll be consistently in the rotation. Something interesting I've heard is that he might play some small ball four. Um, depending on the lineups, that's more a lineup thing, I think, than a skill thing for him. But my one worry with Sterling Brown is that he shot 42% in Milwaukee, uh, or excuse me, 32% from three in Milwaukee his last year there, 35% his rookie year, 36 and then all of a sudden the 42% on pretty good volume. But my concern is just how consistent is that and how reliable is that number? Is it fool's gold? I have some concerns myself, but I think maybe next playing next to Luca could help him a lot. People would say the same about Giannis, though, and I mean the numbers weren't so great. So I have my own reservations, but if he's a stretch four, I could maybe see him repeating some of those numbers. Yeah, yeah, that's really good there. As we finish off talking about the bit, the the bigs there, we've got um, uh, Boban Marjanovic. Sorry, just scrolling to my cap sheet there, people, uh, and also also Moses Brown. Um, if if the Mavs are now looking to have say, just say they do move on from Powell, then you have guys like Moses Brown and Boban that you know they're basically on minimum to 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 smaller salaries, and are they more acceptable as backups with with lower investments in them? Um, than someone like Powell, if, if Powell was to be moved. I know Moses Brown has been, you know, he was a, a two-way player on the Blazers that didn't play, and then all of a sudden on a bad team, you know, he was putting up these crazy stat lines. That's not going to happen on a on a playoff team. Um, but, yeah, these more acceptable backup guys, if, if they were to move off a guy like Powell. Yeah, it's hard to say the Mavs could move on from Boban just because him and Honestly, everyone on the team have such crazy chemistry. I think Moses Brown would go first. And also, Moses Brown has a lot more holes in his game. Believe, like I know that sounds weird to a lot of people to say for a guy who, compared to a guy who's 7'4 and cannot move in the pick and roll. But Boban's really efficient at the rim. I mean, he's, he's really great with a Luka out there. He has nice post-touch. Moses Brown, I worry that a lot of his stuff in Oklahoma City was empty stats like that. People point to that like 19 rebound first half against Boston but also Boston had the worst uh, interior defense rebounding, just all of it. They were terrible at that. So like it wasn't that hard. And also just like, I don't know, it, it's, it's hard on a losing team. So I'm, I'm still hesitant on Moses Brown and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he even has like partially guaranteed parts yeah. of his deal. Yeah. And that's going to be a game changer. Boban doesn't have that. Moses Brown does. I think that would be the tiebreaker beyond yeah. the chemistry. Yeah. Agreed. As we look at the the, the last few um, bench guards here, obviously Jalen Brunson um, is a guy that looks like he's going to get uh, a large amount of the minutes. Uh, what, what sort of minutes can we see him getting? And then the last two guys there are Tyrell Terry and Josh Green. What will those two's role be as well as Brunson? Yeah, Brunson's going to be a mixture of playing a lot with Luca. I think half his minutes will be that and half his minutes will be leading the bench unit assuming Trey Burke either is gone or just doesn't play in the rotation, which hopefully it's either of those two things. And Jalen Brunson, I don't think, you know, like I said, his playmaking was just brutal. Um, That's something he just needs to really improve on. If he can improve that, if he can be that 50, 40, 90 guy again, the free throws just randomly fell off. It was probably a hard regression to the mean. 
just in seeing it and happen happening. But if Jalen Brunson can be that guard who can fit into any single lineup, his minutes are going to increase because I think he only averaged like, what was it? 20 minutes per game or something like that last year. And which is really remarkable, maybe 25. Um, so I, I think he could be in for a bigger role, maybe closer to like 28. I think that would be ideal. Maybe play him some starter minutes and, it's hard because, you know, Tim Hardaway, Bullock, Luca, and him, that's a lot of minutes to go around with the guard. But you need to take the pressure off Luca, and he's a really good spot-up shooter. At, he's become that at least, and he can hit shots off the dribble. He has a spot in the rotation because of that for sure. It's just how many minutes. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, and a couple more questions before we finish We finish the pot out. Um, if, you, if you had to do an under-over for – sorry, if you had to do a, a high and a low in terms of win totals – uh, for the season, what would be your what would be your high that you'd be like, well, it was a great season, and then what would be your low where you'd say that's disappointing and at the bottom of where I could see them be? Yeah, so I think last year the Mavs were on pace to win forty eight to forty nine wins, uh, forty eight to forty nine games, excuse me, before you know on an eighty two game season pace, like they could have easily done that, and also they were one of the teams bitten hardest by the COVID wave that went through the NBA and a lot of the protocols. They, I mean, even the storm that canceled their game against Houston, they eventually lost that game. Who knows what would have happened? So they had a lot of bad luck last year. I could see the high end being 50 to 55. And I'd say get each cross 50 and it's a great, it's a win. Like that's a lot to be probably in the top six, I would guess in the, in the West, but who knows also we've seen years past where 50 wins or 49 wins is the cutoff for the playoffs. So who knows, but 50 is an absolute must. I don't think you can really settle for less. So I'd say 50 is the line. 55 being really good. I'm happy with that. 45 to 40. I mean, obviously they're below 500. I'm upset. But 45 wins is like the lowest I would be willing to see them get because that's play in territory. Yeah, yeah, that's that's brilliant, man. Um, so lastly, just before we we close this one out, um, can you um, yeah tell fans a little bit about what it is that um, – that you do. I usually ask this at the start, but I ripped into it a little bit quickly in terms of your draft work. And um, you host the locked on NBA draft podcast as well. And then where fans can find you too. Yeah. So I, I do just a lot of, I, I love watching the NBA. I love watching college and high school hoops and international hoops and everything like that. So uh, that's pretty much what I do is I cover all that. And um, you can find me at Mavs draft on Twitter, mavsdraft.com is where the original content goes up. And like, uh, like you said, Locked on NBA draft every Tuesday. Um, I try and, you know, cross the NBA and NBA draft, get those two together. But generally covering the Mavs and Magic, those are going to be the two focal points. But I try and tweet about every team. I watch, I mean, I'm addicted to league pass. So, <laughs> but yeah, you can find me at Mavs draft and I'll tweet about your team at some point. <laughs> That's brilliant, man. Um, this has been such a great chat. Really appreciate you you jumping on to, to talk about Mavs. Um, I probably got you down for the Orlando Magic as well. Um, as I um, yeah, struggled to find guests for some of these other team pods. But yeah, appreciate you jumping on, man. The analysis that you do, um, not just in this pod, but the things that you do as part of the NBA community, I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, I look forward to, to getting you on again. And um, thanks so much for, for taking time out of your day to spend with me. Hey, that means a lot. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, man. Have a good day.